Listener coming out. Look for it. Here's Dave McKinley. All right, episode 34. We're asking the tough questions today with Dave McKinley. Oh, great. He's the WGRZ Channel 2 general assignment reporter, and he's a native of Brockport, New York. Welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thank you for having me, fellows. Now, Dave, you went to Buff State. You got into broadcasting. When did you realize you wanted to get into journalism or radio or whatever? Well, I'm too lazy to work and too timid to steal. So this is what I do for a living. Uh, I, it was kind of at an early age. I was fortunate. At Brockport High School at the time, they had an FM radio station that, uh, you know, it wasn't a carrier current station. This was an actual FM station. It was 10 watts with a tower on top of the high school, but an actual <laughs> broadcast station. And so I was able to get into radio when I was uh, 14 years old. And at the time, you don't know what you're going to do. I thought about hotel management someday or something. And, and, and then I got into radio and realized that I enjoyed it. And that's what I set out to do. And it was interesting because I had a little head start. If you can imagine starting at 14 and making your mistakes as you do and, and, and developing your style. So that by the time I was 18, uh, you know, I decided I wanted to be in radio. And I had four years of experience, if you could call it that. And I got accepted at two colleges, <laughs> Buffalo <laughs> State and Oswego. And I thought, well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm good enough at this tender age. I'm good enough to work professionally. So I think I'll go to Buff State and get myself a part-time job at one of the radio stations. And I figured in Buffalo, there's like, you know, 20 or 30 stations. And in Oswego, there's one. So I'll go to Buffalo because that will be the place where I'll work. I'll go to college and I'll work and I'll be a DJ and, and all that jazz. And and so I, I went to college and they had a WBMY as the Buff State radio station. And I was involved in that. And I remember I got my first internship at WBEN and I was the ground controller for the traffic copter. Dave May used to run the traffic copter in the morning, Barbara Burt in the afternoon. So if you're the ground controller, you sit in this little studio and you communicate through a two-way radio to the guy in that traffic copter. And I would tell him, for instance, uh, in the mornings, Dave May, okay, Dave, your next report at 814 is sponsored by this company. And at the same time, I'm making phone calls all over to see if there's any traffic problems that Dave has to go in the helicopter and fly over. Something he can't see. I might say, hey, listen, there's a backup in the South Tons. You might want to look at that and communicate with him and and then i remember it was a split sort of thing i worked in the morning and uh i worked in the afternoon during the morning and afternoon drive and i remember my first day there thinking as i looked around these nice studios at wben and how yeah i'd probably i'd probably be able to work right here i think and um i remember it was four o'clock and I'd given Dave his, all his information for his first hit. It was going to follow the 4 o'clock news. So I'm in this little studio sitting across from Jack Mindy, who was a very talented disc jockey, listening to him. And then I thought, well, there was a little board and a switcher, and you could, you could hear you know, any studio in the place. And, and uh, I'm sitting there, and, and next to me is the news, news booth. And uh, a long-ago fellow named Ed Little walked in. 
and he was going to do his newscast. And I thought, well, <clears throat> I thought, just listen to how good this guy sounds, you know, thinking all along that obviously I'm good enough to work here, but let's just see how this guy sounds. And Ed Little opened the mic, and I think it took me about five seconds to realize I had a ways to go <laughs> because yeah. those guys back then were really good. And it took me less than five seconds to figure out, okay, kid, you got a few things to learn and you got a ways to go before you can run with these guys. So, uh, and then, uh, but I did eventually actually get hired in uh, college to do news on WBEN, which was a huge deal because the news director at the time, his name was Jim McLaughlin. He was considered the dean of news directors in Western New York. He had a hard and fast rule. He didn't hire anyone to go on the air doing news unless uh, they were a college graduate, which I was not yet, and they had to have had two years of experience somewhere, full-time, day-to-day. He pulled guys out of WLVL in Lockport, and and places like Mark Leitner was from Gloversville, and, and they, he had to have two years of experience. That was a hard and fast rule. He broke it for me. And another fellow named Tim Wenger. We were both hired on the same day to do news part-time on the weekends. And so while I was in college, I actually got a shot. And I got a shot at Rock 102 doing the morning news. That lasted for about a week before they said, no, you're not ready yet. And uh, so eventually, I did graduate from Buff State. And I was hired by WBEN to do news on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. And during the week, I was fortunate to have landed a job full-time at WJJL in Niagara Falls. So here I was 22 years old, and I was working seven days a week, which you could do when you're 22 years old. You don't yeah. care. You got nothing else. You got right. no family. You got no house to tend to, no kids to take care of, no wife to pay attention to. And, and so I was working seven days a week, making a pretty good buck between two jobs. And at JJL, I was the news director. I hosted a talk show every day. And uh, so I worked seven days a week, and then uh, I, I did that for three years. And then I uh, stationed in Rochester, which, near where I'm from, that I grew up listening to, WHAM, and which I always wanted to work at, called me and, and made me a good offer to essentially come home. So I spent uh, 10 years there, and then uh, eventually during those 10 years, I had every TV station in town talking to me about making the transition to television. And I wasn't interested. I never wanted to be on TV. Radio was it for me. I was happy as could be uh, doing it. Uh, and also, they they always prefaced it by saying, graduate to television, which I really resented. I yeah. thought, you know, the hell yeah. with you. Right. What I do is just as good. I'm yeah. better than any of your reporters. And so they would always say, well, you'd have to understand, Dave, that... Uh, <clears throat> You know, you'd start out working nights and weekends, and this is a transient business. So, you know, who knows? It might be two weeks, two months, two years, and I'd be like, well, you know, I work nine to five now on the radio. And uh, well, my job at Wham was just a wonderful job. If you remember Brian Meyer from WBEN years ago, he was like the roving reporter, right? Yeah. And Brian, I was his intern, and he, I really owe uh, most of my career to Brian. He is the one who trained me. He was my biggest mentor coming up. And... um I don't think I could touch him on my best day, but uh, Brian is a really special human being and, 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 and perhaps the best reporter who ever lived. And I was fortunate enough to learn at his, at his feet. <clears throat> and I was kind of the Brian Meyer of Rochester. That's what I did. I was that roving reporter. I was out all day. I was, my goal was to have a different story every hour 
of the day. Really? And I was not really being told by a boss what to cover. I mean, they'd say, here's these events going on today. We'd like you to be at. Yep. And then, and, then, and there might be breaking news. We'll call you. Yep. And in the meantime, it was up to me to go find stories. You know, oh, that's got to be interesting. Go to City Hall. Go to County Hall. See what was filed today. Go to the courts. See who's being arraigned and what. And, and, and I was able to turn a new story every hour, every day. And I was outside and I have anybody <laughs> breathing down my neck. And it was a great, great job that I enjoyed for many years. And wham, you know, they sent me to four Super Bowls. They sent me to four wow. Olympic games. Uh, they really had a big, a big mentality there. And, 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 and I was really fortunate and it was a great, great job. But all this while TV stations were approaching me. And, and giving me this kind of like, well, you know, you'd, you'd have to start out nights and weekends. And I'd be like, eh, you know, I, no, thank you. Right. Right. <clears throat> but eventually a guy named Bob Kirk, who had been a senior reporter at WROC, which is the CBS affiliate in Rochester Channel 8, was elevated to news director. Very rare thing in this industry. News directors usually start out as producers, maybe assignment editors, uh, executive producers, then on up to assistant news director. They've been on a management track all along. They've never spent a lot of them a day out in the field covering a story. Mm -hmm. This was a rarity. This was a guy who was a field reporter on a television station uh, and a former anchor who was bumped up to news director. And he called me and he said, I, listen, I got to build a staff. You're the first person I thought of. He said, I've had this conversation before. He said, I know you have. Will you talk to me? I said, sure. So he, um, we went out and we started talking and uh, he made me a great, great offer. And he said, I'm not going to ask you to work nights and weekends. You're going to start out during the days. This is what we're paying, which was substantially more than anyone had ever talked about. And I still was hesitant. I asked him, you know, why don't you get yourself a couple of reporters <laughs> for this? You know, he's like, and he looked at me and he said, he said, I need someone. I've watched you in the field, Dave. Your experience. I'll teach you the TV stuff. So I said, all right, but listen, if you've got this kind of cash to offer, why don't you go out and get yourself a, a reporter with five years of experience? If you hire somebody who's experienced, why don't you get yourself a TV reporter? He put down whatever he was eating, and if you're familiar at all with the Rochester area, he said, I need someone who knows the difference between Avon and Avon, <laughs> Chai Lai and Chili, <laughs> Charlotte and Charlotte, and from Shinola. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know what? If I go to work for this guy, this is one guy who's been in the field, who's been through all the wars, who can tell me as I make this transition, this is good, this is good, I like how you did this, but don't ever do this again, and I could take it to the bank. Mm -hmm. And also, I was 35 years old. That's a little late to be getting into TV back then. Yeah. It really came down to me thinking, well, I don't want to get to the end of my years working and wonder, could I have done it? And right. so I made the transition thinking if it doesn't work out, I can always go back. And um, it really reinvigorated me because I'm, I'm covering the same stories I was, but in an entirely different way. You're writing to pictures and, and having to, the challenges are different and crafting the story is different. And um, so I really, I was glad I did it. And then I did that for eight years. And then out of the blue, I got a, an offer to come here and, uh, and, and a very good offer uh, for a very good station. Um, Channel 8 in Rochester was uh, the market doormat. 
which is an unfortunate thing. It's very sobering working for a number three <laughs> because there are days when you know you're just as good as you're better than the other guys, but nobody knows it. And so I had a chance to come up here and work for a station that was in a very competitive battle for the number one slot, uh, really wanted me, uh, showed that through the offer they made. And I really thought, well, you know, it would be nice to go back to Buffalo, a place that it wasn't like I was going to Siberia or something. I didn't right. know. I yeah. liked it up here. Right I down did. the 90. Yeah. And I liked it up here. I loved Buffalo. I mean, for a kid from a small town back in the 80s when I was going to Buff State, this might as well have been Paris in the 20s. <laughs> and so uh, I really and I knew a lot of people up here. And I thought, you know, here's a chance to take uh, dance on a new stage and take my talents there and see you know, what I can do up here. And and that was 12 years ago. And so, uh, yeah, I've been at Channel 2 ever since. What What's the biggest story you covered when you got to Channel 2, you think? 3407. 3407, oh, yeah. Bar none. Oh, yeah. And there's one thing I learned about covering a plane crash because I think in the back of every reporter's mind is, what if this happened? How would I handle this? What if a big story? I mean, there will never be a, the biggest story in my career was nine eleven, but that I wasn't up here. So you asked what was the biggest story for Channel yeah. Two. I learned one thing about covering a plane crash. I never, I never want to cover another one. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Ever again. Yeah. And I mean, it, and it pops up. It still pops up with the lawsuits and everything. It. it well, I don't, every every anniversary that comes up, yeah, I, part of me wants to take those days off, yeah, because I don't want to go back and see these people because I don't. Do we? I the tenth anniversary was just this past winter, and I was asked to do the majority of the coverage. And people that I talked to were so gracious, and I picked uh, three. And because listen, there were fifty lives lost, fifty-one based on your opinion. On when life begins, right? Which ones do you tell? Yeah, who you can't do fifty stories. I mean, not on television. Maybe the newspaper guys could do it, or maybe we could have done fifty stories. Who knows if we had had started working on it six months ahead of time, but we didn't. Then I had to pick three, and I picked three, and I had my reasons for picking them. And uh, one of them uh, was um, Chris Collins, actually, and. I wanted to visit him because he was the county executive at the time. I got some flack for that. People that hate Chris Collins. Uh, and, and, you know, they were chastising me on social media. Why aren't you asking him about being under indictment? And I'm thinking, well, because 50 people died one day. Can you leave it alone long enough so that we could do a story? And the other person was um, uh, Karen Walensky, the she was the one on the ground. That's the name of her book. She was the one whose husband was um, was killed, and she and her daughter escaped from their home in Clarence when the plane crash crashed into it. And I picked her because the last time we had seen Karen was um, in her trial. Her her case was the only one that went to trial. All those, all the victims' families sued. They all settled out of court except for her. And she had her reasons for doing that, and eventually, after she had testified emotionally, and and it was it was quite a trial. It, it never finished because they ended up uh, settling yeah. mid-trial. Yeah. And um, 
The other one was a lady named Jennifer West. And uh, I picked Jennifer because I remembered uh, the, the crash happened in February and uh, of 2009. And I remember going to her house in December of 2009 to do a story. Something had happened regarding the crash. It was either the efforts of the 3407 families going to Washington or whatever. And she was just one of them back in this back in 2009. And I remember going to her house one night with a photographer named John Ganan. And she agreed to talk to us. And we went into her house and she had a little girl, her girl, Summer. And uh, of course, this is Summer's first Christmas without her dad. She's real little, though, I and mean, she's just the kind of maybe four or something like that. I can't remember, but I just remember uh, there was a couple of things. We 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 did the interview with uh, with Mrs. West and uh, with Jen West, and and after the interview was kind of concluded, I was asking her how she was doing, and she was like, "Oh, I'm having a hell of a time today. I just." And it's going to break my leg if I go up that ladder one more time. And I looked, and she was trying to put the star on the tree. Oh, wow. She said it was always Ernie's job because Ernie was six foot four, and he could just reach up there and do it. And I'm having a hell of a time. That's some powerful stuff. Yeah. And I remember um, saying to my photographer, John, is the camera off? He said, yeah. And I looked at her, I said, would you please give me that star? Oh, good for you, Dave. And maybe you're not supposed to do that, but I just, what else could you do? So I put the star on the tree for her. And then we were just about leaving, and she had talked about how she can still be in her yard and hear an airplane coming over, and she knows by the sound of the plane that it's a Bombardier 400 or whatever that plane was. She can identify it by the noise, and it brings it all back. So it's winter time, and John and I are outside, and here comes a plane overhead. And I thought, you know, why don't you take try and take that shot? And then the plane's coming, and I'm like wondering what he's, what are you doing? And the plane's up there. What are you doing? And I see he's got his camera pointed back through the window of the house where the living room where we were just there, and they had one of those little trains around the tree. And there's Summer sitting on her belly, laying on her belly, hands in her face in her hands, looking at the train, going around the track. And he took that picture. And and the picture was just very powerful about a little girl and her first Christmas without her dad and at an age where she probably couldn't understand why. So I picked her to go back and visit because I wanted to see what whatever happened to Summer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so now she's this a teenage girl uh, who is much like her mother, uh, gregarious and outgoing and always quick with a joke. And we, we talked about, you know, she was the third one I picked because I wanted to see how, okay, we have uh, the Chris Collins talking about the events of that night. And we have Ms. Walensky who, you know, has this book coming out called The One on the Ground. And was up for talking from that perspective and, and who do you pick among the passengers? And I decided, you know, we, we, we could show when we last visited these folks and this little girl and what is she, what, whatever happened to her, you know, what became of her? Did, did Jennifer get uh, remarried? Did the, you know, she didn't. Um, 
she said, if you know of anyone, you know, help a girl. <laughs> but yeah, and, and Summer, it, it was interesting because you've got to think back to when you and I guys were four years old. And what do you remember? And the answer is probably nothing. I don't. I think I remember when I went to kindergarten, I was five, but most of us cannot remember. And so it was interesting to talk to her because she said, I have no memory of my dad. I mean, I, oh. I could see the pictures. And she said, you know, so I'm not real sad because, you know, had I been a little older when this happened, I'd probably be sad to this day because I would miss. And But I don't have a memory of him. And she suggested maybe that's a good thing. But, I mean, obviously, I wish my father was here, but I don't have that memory. So I think that story... Uh, yeah, that's is the, unique that is in the, a way. That is the but thirty four oh seven without without equivalent. Yeah, uh, the biggest story for not only that it was a plane crash and all these people died, but look what happened afterward. Yeah, and the continuing impact it's had, uh, due largely to the efforts of those who lost loved ones in that plane. So, and like I said, I, if I learned one thing, and I could tell you all about that night, about sneaking in there to get pictures, about. Having a, the only camera I had was attached to a computer and ice falling on my hands and, and being sickened for standing there for hours trying to hide from the cops so I wouldn't get kicked out of there, standing in water and hiding in a bush because it was the only live picture we had. And, and, and actually, by about 4 o'clock in the morning, having to walk away because I, I was in the smoke all that time. You know, and I was, you know, I was getting ill from the smoke, you know, and how I, I actually ended up stumbling down the street and seeing one of my photographers sitting there and he looks up and goes, Dave, and I couldn't talk because I was so cold and, you know, I had to get out of there because I thought to myself, yeah, great. The headline's going to be, they found emergency crews were diverted because some idiot had passed out in the bushes and in the meantime, missed a chance to rescue someone, but, um, yeah, I remember looking at Dooley O'Rourke, and, and he said, Dave, and I couldn't talk. And he said, Dave, there's a house over there. I want you to knock on the door. There's someone named Shirley, okay? Can you remember that? And I kind of staggered over there, and I remember knocking on the door of a house and a lady opening up the door. And uh, these folks took me into their home and uh, helped me warm up, you know, before we had to get out of there. But, yeah, I, I remember, you know, running over there and, 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 you know, parking and a housing tract and because the traffic was stopped and all the other media was stopped. And I was like, no, we're getting in there. And, you know, running through backyards and to a fence. And <laughs> when I first arrived there and I'm trying to see over the fence and then looking down and there's a guy whose yard I'm in looking at me. And I said, do you have a recycling box? And he goes, yeah, I go, could I have it, please? And he gave it to me so I could stand up, look over the fence, you know, get the pictures. And then, you know, I wanted to move. I wanted to move. My hands got ice forming on it. I'm shaking God. with this little camera attached to a computer. My boss is like, you can't move. You're the only live picture we have. Finally, you know, getting him to, to say, okay, you can move. And I'm going down some fence lines. I'm trying to get closer and closer. And we ended up across the street. There was the house with the plane on it the street in front of it, house across the street, and the yard that backed up to that. And uh, that's where I was. So we were real close. And 
and I stayed there for hours until the battery on the computer was going to run out. And, and I, there was some guy down the road who was doing a phone interview. He lived down the street. I was on and I said, listen, uh, they're kicking everybody out of here. I'm running out of batteries. Can you ask that guy where he lives? Cause and if he's got a charger for a Dell laptop, <laughs> he said he did. Wow. And I remember I'm kind of hiding out. I don't want to get out and be seen and be kicked out. And so I said, tell the guy to flash his porch light. So I know where to go. And he, I see his porch light flashing and went in there, <laughs> charged up, warmed up. Yeah, that was a hell of a night. And, but really I, I just, yeah, there's not, I mean, I, you got to show like the remembrance of the story too. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it all came in a circle. There it, for yeah. You. And it sure did. And, uh, but that, yeah. Like I said, the one thing I learned is I never want to cover another one. Oh, I bet. Well, lucky for you, we have a county executive race coming up. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he pulled a little Joe Namath on you not too long ago. Guaranteeing victory. Oh, yeah, that was in July. Yeah. Now, how can you? Now, Dave, I got to ask you something because I, I know both both of them. Okay. Mark and Lynn. No, I know them too. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> How can you guarantee in July? Do you think that he, if he could take that back, he he wouldn't have said it? I think he believes it. Yeah. yeah. Now you're asking if he could take that moment back where he, into a TV camera, said, I, I'm going to win and I guarantee it. Back in July, he, I can't speak for him. I would imagine... That he would want to take that back because that is just something you don't do. Right. Hasselback. You you just don't. Now, you see a lot of politicians who are running. We're in it to win it. We're going to win. They're saying this usually in front of their supporters. Even when you know that guy or gal up there, you're looking at him. Go, you don't have a ghost of a chance. And everybody <laughs> in this room knows it. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to, you know, you can't tell the, your supporters. Well, We'll give it our best. I don't know. You you have to get up there and give the rah-rah speech, and we're going to win. And and then you know, interviews with the media, you got to be like, oh, no, no, you know, we're, we're, we're in to win it. Uh, uh, but to come out and say, oh, we're going to win, and I guarantee it. Oh, yeah. man. Now, uh, let me ask it's, you this. It's, now, listen, I'm not – believe, maybe he believes yeah. that. It's generally something you don't hear someone say. No. Mm-hmm. Um. I think he was a little worked up at the moment, but, yeah. um, and that's maybe what spawned it. So I can't speak for him. If I were to guess, would he wish that he hadn't said that? Probably so, just because it's something you normally don't say. Um, but I, I think he's very confident of his chances, and I think he's obviously the odds-on favorite. I mean, he is yeah. the incumbent. He does enjoy a majority of Democrats in Erie County, a pretty substantial majority. He has the, you know, the machine and, and the support base and the donations and the money. So I, I, I listen, just, just talking as a reporter, and this is not an opinion or anything else, but obviously you'd have to consider him the favorite in this race. Yeah. yeah. So is it going to be closer than people think? Ah, who's to say? Guys, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Did you think it was going to be close in the last presidential race? <laughs> Did you think Donald Trump was going to win? No. Right. Most people didn't. No. Even people who supported him figured, well, he's not going to win. Yeah. So you you never know. 
about what's going to happen. And, and sometimes you have to uh, consider, you know, what else is going on. Uh, obviously, in a, in a presidential year, 2020 or 2016, you get your highest number of voters out to vote. What else is going on in 2019? Yeah. Um, so the turnout will probably be low for that reason. Yeah. It's an off-year yeah. election. What else? What else are we elected? Judges and judges. That's about it. And things like that. So you have this race. It's obviously a very important, high-profile race. Should bring everyone out. Won't bring everyone out. Mm-hmm. And so it then often comes down to who does a better job in getting their supporters to get out there and to vote. So, you know, is it impossible? Of course not for her to win. Uh, but but he's obviously, I, I would say he's the odds-on favorite to, yeah. to, to be reelected. Is, is this a show that he, uh, certain guys like to put on with you, kind of get a little nasty with you? I didn't like the way you handled you. I thought it was disrespectful. Maybe he was having a bad day. <laughs> and you were, yeah, people have bad days. And that, you, you run into that yeah. a lot. A lot of guys have bad days when a camera's put in front of them. You think they use that as an excuse? I was having a bad day. No, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you can't get inside everyone's head all the sure. time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was upset with me because he thought. Um, you know, I was hounding him about a question and wouldn't let go. A dog on a bone, I thought. He said the phrase, you're like a dog on a bone. I thought, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, that's feet why on we, the ground. That's why we like yeah, you, Dave. The hustle. That's what we talk about all the time. You know, and I remember a long time ago, Jimmy Griffin was mayor. and Tony Farina. He used to mess with. He used to mess with people, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I remember one time, I think it was either Jimmy Griffin or... Vincent Lavallo, the councilman, but Brian Meyer, and I was his intern. This is 1984 or so, and Brian's, you know, really, you know, asking the tough questions as they were in that day, and not like being like a dog on a bone. And the the public official, I, I think it, maybe it was Lavallo, but whichever one it was, said, "Geez, Brian, you're like a little bee." Swarming around me. Get away. You're like a little bee. And Brian said, yeah, but unlike a bee, if you ignore me, I won't go away. Oh, that's a good line. And and I, he didn't say it like that, you know. <laughs> but, but I never forgot that. I thought, yeah, okay. And um, so, yeah. Uh, so who knows that day? Maybe he was just, uh, it was something he didn't want to talk about. Maybe he was having a bad day. Who knows? Is that like a sign of you doing your job well, though, too? It is my job to, I think, to try and ask questions that are on people's minds that they want the answers to. And people can sidestep them. Governor Cuomo sidesteps questions all the time. You know, he'll give you some, he'll talk and talk and never really quite answer the question. And his avails, his media avails are usually set up in a way that there's really no opportunity for a follow-up because we've never gotten a one-on-one in-depth interview with him. He's happy to do that with the Buffalo News editorial board. He's not happy to do that with the rest of the media in Buffalo. Although he does now appear on uh, NPR stations. He's been making a habit of calling into those lately. Uh, So if I'm always trying to figure out, you know, what, what do people want to know? And this limited opportunity I have to ask a question, what, what is it that people would like to know? And 
and um, I, I, whether or not I'm doing my job, if they get upset, that that's. I just wish they'd answer the damn question. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and if people want to think, well, that you're doing your job, and if other people and they do look at you as a pest, a bee, a dog on a bone who won't let go, um, that they're free to do that too. You know, I find. Listen, here's the thing these days: <laughs> if the facts, as presented in a story, let me repeat that: if the facts, as presented in a story, do not subscribe to your personal political beliefs, it's probably a rough day for you. Uh huh. And you're gonna say that that story is biased. And that is a problem for reporters today because you can do the same thing you've been doing for 30 years, which is to pitch it down the middle. Because, listen, nobody bats a thousand percent, right? And you can only hope that you try and be fair, you get both sides, you pitch it down the middle. That's what I've been doing for a long time. And for most of my career, if you guys, I don't know if you have a VU meter on that thing there. Mm. You know, on a radio, <laughs> that VU meter, oh, yeah, people yeah, can yeah. think of the little needle sure. that yeah, bounces, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so I want everyone thinking that listening to this, think of that VU meter with that needle that bounces up and down. It goes from left to right, left to right, right, bounces. Okay. Think of that VU meter and, and, and think of you're trying to present a story and you pitch it right down the middle. Well, throughout the course of my career, there were always just a few people over here on this side of the meter that said, I don't think your story was fair. Not very many of them, maybe mm-hmm. 3%. And, you know, interestingly enough, just 3% way on the other side here who said, no, that wasn't fair. And then you ask them why. Why wasn't the story fair? Well, you gave him 15 seconds, you gave her 10. It was the way you inflected your voice, Dave. It was the way you said it. Okay. All right. So we've got 3% over way over here and 3% way over here. And 94% of the people look at it like, okay, you know, right down the middle. middle. Think of that meter. The middle's closed. Mm -hmm. You're pitching it down the middle, but we are so polarized right now. And we only want to hear what we want to hear. And if it doesn't subscribe, subscribe to our personal politics, We don't want to hear it. The middle is closed. So now it's the point where if you pitch it down the middle, you're going to have 45% of the people over here saying you did wrong and 45% on the other side saying you did wrong because what, what they're hearing, if it's factual, it doesn't agree with their politics and they get upset. And you, it, as a reporter, you know, there's some days where you think, I I don't know, you know, do you want to do this much longer? Because you're just getting attacked by both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Because on one day, this whole side, you're their hero. The next day, you know, you're the goat. And I don't mean greatest of all time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny how the sides flip based on just who you happen to be asking the tough questions to. Because you're basing everything on fact. 
Yeah. It's, you, you mentioned a Poland Cars interview in July. You know, there were a lot of people, his supporters, who didn't like that. These same supporters, I was their hero when I caught up to Chris Collins a year ago yeah. when he wasn't talking to the media and surprised him in the parking lot of a fundraiser. Yeah, you did surprise him. <laughs> and, oh, great. I was their hero that day. But I was dog crap to them when it wasn't their, you know, it, it didn't fit the, the narrative didn't for, fit yeah. their narrative and the narratives out there on both sides but yeah that, that thank you if it doesn't fit your personal narrative then yeah. you have a problem is, and is that something to do with social media i mean a, oh, yeah. It's, oh yeah it's a lot to do with social media you know, i noticed this whole thing in the the last the first election with um the one where obama ran against rob uh, romney and okay. Facebook wasn't that old, right? It's only been what, 10 or 12 yeah, years. I mean, enough for everybody. That was the young. first presidential election where I started noticing things. And people were saying things and getting mad at each other based on who they supported. And I thought way back then, huh, how many people lost friends tonight? <laughs> because, now listen, the old folks used to say, you don't discuss politics or religion at the dinner at the dinner table or in mixed company. You do not discuss politics or religion at the dinner table or in mixed company. Welcome to Facebook. Yeah, and, and we forgot that. And listen, the, yeah. these old folks didn't get to be old by being stupid. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that lesson. Uh, because there's the dinner table and everyone's invited. And the thing is, and <clears throat> you've had this experience, I've had this experience. You say something and somebody's on your rear end about it. Your friend. Yeah. And then you think about that. How long have you been friends? 20 years. I've been friends with this lady since college. Did you become friends with her for her politics? No, I never cared. I never knew them. Well, now they're out there. And why is that? What, what did we forget? We forgot what the old folks said. And there's something else. If I say something right now, stupid, maybe I have. Or offensive to you. Because we're face to face. You might wait till I got out of the room, Jim, to look at Mark and say, what the hell's wrong with him? Because that's, you, you, you would wait. But, you know, when you're not face-to-face, -face, when you're in front of that keyboard, how tempted are you when somebody says something that you totally disagree with to, mm, you know, yeah. I'm going to reply. Em. I'm going to reply because we're not here. Right. I think a cop from long ago explained it to me best. This, this goes back to uh, several years ago when we first heard the term road rage. Remember right. that was a, yeah. and it was, it was, it was the, the term was road rage and what's going on. People are rude and, and they're getting into fights and, and they're there. And I was asking a, a cop about, you know, it's, what, what's going on with this society? And he said, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's if you or I were standing in line at the bank. Okay. I said, yeah. He goes, I'm in a hurry and I'm right behind you. I said, okay. And they call next, and it's your turn. I wouldn't cut you off. <laughs> I wouldn't just, like, walk yeah. in front of you. I wouldn't do that, right? I go, yeah. He goes, but if you're going down the Kensington, 
and you're both going 60 miles an hour, and one guy's going to exit here in a quarter of a mile. He's in his car. He's insulated, and he needs to cut you off. He's going to cut you off because he's in his car. He's insulated. He won't hear you calling him names, and he's going to split off on a 198, and you're going to continue downtown, and you're never going to see each other again. And that's why people get like that, because there's this kind of barrier, and you can do that. And I think the same thing has gone on through Facebook and, and Twitter, uh, obviously, is worse because right. Twitter, it's it's anonymous. It's people who don't even put their real names out there or pictures or anything else. And on your Facebook, you, you've got all these if you want to set all these privacy things and say, you know what, I'm only going to talk to my friends or or share with with people I really know, my family. My well, Twitter is like kind of this open field that can bring out the idiots from anywhere. I mean, but that that's like the thing with the president too. Like Cuomo goes to the, at least the newspaper. At least is he like a big Twitter guy? I'm not hip to politics, but well, I mean, the governor Cuomo has a Twitter account. I don't know if he's but tweeting. Like, I like that fact better that he's using the media, you know, rather than the president just he skips the media, right? And maybe that's by design. Maybe he figures I'm going to get my message unfiltered out there. I don't think it's the best way to do it. <laughs> I thought to myself, and I actually posted this on Facebook on my own personal page. So they'll go looking it up, everyone. <laughs> but I just thought after a while, uh, you know, after a few months of his presidency, I remember saying I, the president didn't ask me, but... If I were advising him, here's what I would tell him. And number one was, Mr. President, hand me the phone. <laughs> it's like a 15-year-old. You can have it back in four years if you're still here. <laughs> but hand me the damn phone. Taking it away from you right now, you're done. And this was early on, you know, and I think it was like, stop talking about how many people were at your uh, inauguration or not. Don't waste another breath on Hillary Clinton. You don't need to. Shit, you beat her. Yeah. You won. Mm -hmm. There's work to do. Get busy. And then do, do the work. And But the one thing I, I would have suggested is if you want to get your message out unfiltered, uh, Twitter is a horrible way to do it because <laughs> at the time it was 140 characters. Well, what can you do then? And then your detractor is going to parse every word and say you meant this when you listen. If he really, I just early on, I noticed if he was on a teleprompter, he wasn't bad. No, he wasn't bad. Yeah. He was presidential almost. Almost. He didn't go <laughs> yeah. off the conference. Like when he, he has this problem, maybe articulating what he really means to say. I'm not trying to make excuses or anything oh, like right. that. Sure. But yeah. I think we've noticed so, that yeah. Yeah, yeah, when he gets off uh, the cuff, it's um, off the cuff. And maybe he's saying things that uh, he doesn't mean to say this, but he says it this way like I'm doing now. And I always thought <laughs> if I were advising him, I would have said, look, set up a YouTube channel. Go on there every day. If there's something you want to do, a message you want to convey, sit at your desk and for three minutes, tell the people, listen, this is what I'm proposing, a, a ban on people coming in from these countries, certain countries. Remember early yeah, on yeah. that whole mess there. 
And we're doing this because these countries don't screen people properly before they come here. And we're noticing things, and it's a problem. And so we're going to do this, and this is why, and this is why I feel we need to do it and articulate every day, go on YouTube with a prepared something or another and have your own YouTube channel and say what you plan to do and why you're doing it, why you want to build a wall, why you think it will work. All that stuff, keep it to three minutes so you don't bore the bejesus out of people and do it that way. Mm-hmm. Get your message out that way. But again, and I can't help but think, I'm no genius. I'm just some idiot on TV in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> I can't help but think there had to have been at least one advisor somewhere Somebody. along the way yeah. who said all those things that I said, such as, yeah. Yeah. number one, give me the damn phone. <laughs> yeah. 140 characters are mightier than the sword. Yeah, well, it's up to well, it's up to 240 now, right? So well, you can do a little better. Yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah. You think he's writing those tweets? Jeez, I don't know. I, I, I. Who else would write them? I don't. I don't know. I, I can't. You, you wonder. I mean, yeah. you know, Governor Cuomo doesn't write his own. Right. Tweets. That's what I mean. Yeah, but that's because smart. I remember, uh, you know, covering events. Where he's at something, giving his speech, and me tweeting uh, and seeing his tweets come out, and me tweeting back, Governor Cuomo, you're amazing. <laughs> I don't even see the phone in your hand. <laughs> so obviously, you know there are some. Yeah. His his lieutenant governor, Bob Duffy, the first one before uh, he he chose Kathy Hochul as his running mate uh, when Duffy bowed out after one term. Mm-hmm. Um, Duffy asked for and demanded and got control of his Twitter account. Yeah. I, I oh, don't yeah, I think remember it, that. Yeah. it wasn't yeah. being uh, it wasn't uh, someone else was tweeting on his behalf. And and I think there's a lot of politicians that do that, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he wanted control of that and he got control of that. Uh, but, you know, is Trump doing this? I, I, I mean, I don't yeah. know. That's yeah. the problem. I, there's so many people sitting in their living rooms. They've got it all figured out. <laughs> the whole investigation, they know what happened. I follow this guy on Twitter. Yeah. Well, and 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 they know what went down in that phone call or behind the scenes or they. And they, really? Yeah. You yeah. know, kind of like get over yourself. Yeah. You know, like you're not social, there. What do you know? Social media, I feel like got rid of all of our street hockey games, too. You know, yeah, like you, kids don't like mix it up anymore. It's almost like you said, they. They play video games. They don't have to play video games at people's houses anymore. There, just- there was a reason we didn't have video games in our home or cable TV or uh, a computer. But you got in fights at the playground. <laughs> Get out of the sure. house. Yeah. Go play. When, when my kids were going out, I've got two boys, they're 17 and 12 now. And the older one, when, you know, he has a computer now because he's in high school and, sure. and he needs that. But they didn't have phones and they didn't have computer games and they didn't have a computer and they didn't have cable TV. And I remember when about, you know, when I first got here 12 years ago having a talk with a, someone I work with once. And they said, uh, wait a minute. You don't have cable TV? No. Your kids don't have video games? No. No computer? No. What do they do? I said, well, moron. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, read books and they play outside. And you're, despite that, 
they're not 40 pounds overweight and they seem reasonably well adjusted. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, we, we kind of, yeah, we, my wife is a teacher. Mm-hmm. She's a kindergarten teacher. She knows which kids have been read to. And unfortunately, these days, she has children coming into her class who don't even know how to hold a book. They have to be shown how to hold a book. Uh, You know, maybe it's the way of the world now. I'm not trying to be too preachy, but I I think there's something to be missed by that, by not having... um, kids never held a book you know and i know you know they don't teach them cursive in the schools anymore and i know why because everything's written on a computer right maybe you don't need it yeah i often wondered about in the future did you guys ever go to washington dc as a class when you were kids yeah i have we went in the eighth grade yeah and you went on the side and i'm kind of thinking about uh someone of this generation uh becoming a teacher and then years from now, taking their class to the uh, National Archives <laughs> and saying, look, kids, it's the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. It comes up out of the safe. There it is. The original crinkled manuscript with the writing. And the and one of the kids saying to the teacher, oh, wow, what, what does that say? And the teacher saying, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's Be- hilarious. Because it's in cursive. It could happen. And, and I get, you know, listen, I get it. You know, they, they, they text and they type and maybe you don't need it, but I'm just wondering how they're going to sign their name on the mortgage. Yeah. And that's coming out now. Requires a signature, right? Yeah. So maybe you can put an X or something, or maybe they'll allow you to print your name, uh, whatever. Maybe it's not a big deal. Yeah. It might not be, but, but I just want, I wondered about it, you know, and you're right, Dave, we kind of kept our kids away from it for as long as we could. And nowadays, Another thing that's coming up is the political correctness. How hard is it being in the media with political correctness? Or does it make it easier for you? I think it is difficult because you don't know what is going to be considered verboten next. Mm -hmm. And if you have been doing this for as long as I have, can, can you say what you've said for 30 years? Or is it all of a sudden it's not? PC, and is somebody gonna complain? The sensitivity and is they gonna meter. fire up all their friends on Twitter and start organizing? You know this mass barrage of you should be fired and and all this other you know let's let's hit this station let's because you're saying things and what is the term you're not woke? Yeah. You know oh. We used to we used to call that being considerate, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Or big plight. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it is a challenge because now every um, don't say this. That's not to say things haven't involved over, uh, evolved over time. When I worked at Channel 8 in Rochester, I did a little weekly series called, they called themselves News 8 Now. I did a, 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 a weekly series where I would look at stories from 10, 20, 30, and 40 years ago because they had their film archive going all the way back to 1962. I called it News 8 Then. It was very popular, and I'm very proud of it. You can see it on YouTube, by the yeah, way. We'll check that somebody, out. somebody put up a bunch of these things. But they also kept the scripts from the newscast going all the way back to, like, 1959. Wow. So that's not to say that things 
have not evolved over time and changed in terms of what is the proper way to say something. Because I could go in that basement today if we were allowed, and I could pull you a script where uh, from the 1960s, right? And I could this is what the anchorman read on the air right here from this script. Now, you would never say that today. Right. No, but, so that's we, how, but that's how it was said in the 1960s. So we have evolved and we will continue to evolve. But it is, it, it's like the evolution of things is happening faster and faster and faster. Um, and so it's almost hard to keep up sometimes, you know, to, to know that, you know, what you say is, is offensive to some. And it does yeah. seem like... Lots of people get offended these days by lots of different things. Absolutely. And then you got the cancel culture. The guy from Saturday Night Live, he's a comic, and he's even got to watch it. So even comedians now have to watch it and watch what they say and really be careful with the jokes that they go about. And it's, it's, and that's, so it's not even fair. It's, it's not, really fair. not fair. Well, you do try and be sensitive, and you do – Ask yourself, well, do I need to say it this way if it's going to offend someone? Mm-hmm. And you listen, you learn, you have, you keep learning. And hopefully people will be forgiving if they know you and they understand that you didn't mean to offend people like that. So you don't need to be shamed and you don't need to be hung out right. dry in public. And you don't need to be piled on because of it. Very few people actually write you uh, letters. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout my career, you, listen. Nobody's perfect. Once in a while, you screw up. And years ago, you know, you you might get a letter in the mail with a stamp. (laughs) I still buy stamps and write checks. You've probably figured that out by now. (laughs) But somebody saw something you did, and it concerned them enough to bring it to your attention. And then they took the time to write a letter and send it in the mail. And if they sent me a letter back then and they signed it, I would respond because they took the time. Mm-hmm. But they took the time, it took them time to write that. Now, maybe they were a little more expedient. Maybe they called you. But they had the courage, let's just say politely, to pick up the phone and to talk to you, not face to face, but at least talk to you and say, hey, did you know that you did this? And I think that's wrong. And and you could talk to them. Listen, to, you know what? I, okay. And you could have a conversation. Instead of immediately through Twitter, boom, 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 call your names. Yeah. Sh- gets out there. It's like a gas can and a fire. And there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it didn't take that. They didn't even wait to think and mm-hmm. cool down. And of course, I, you know, I'm. I should talk about these days about thinking first, but we all don't, you know, but, yeah. but there's the means that just gets in and, and they do it anonymously. And it, it, so, but we all learn over time. I know years ago, and I had to remind someone, a colleague of this just the other day, because they made what can be considered an error, uh, on the air, uh, that I made 30 years ago. It never made sense. I was in Rochester. I was doing a story. I think it was about a prostitution sting or something where they had a bunch of people where they arrested mm-hmm. to take around the corner and throw them in the vehicle, the police vehicle. 
which I referred to as they threw him in the paddy wagon. Yeah. Yeah. I got a call from a lawyer in town. Uh, yeah, he was a good guy. He was also the president of the local chapter of the ancient order of Hibernians. Oh. And he said, Dave. I said, yeah. How you doing? He said, good. You, hey, you said something the other day on the uh, news. You said uh, the paddy wagon. I go, yeah. The paddy wagon. Yeah. What? Um, do you know that's kind of offensive to people of Irish heritage? Oh, this guy. Really? And I said, really? Oh. Really? And he said, yeah. I said, no, I didn't know that. And he said, well, Dad, uh, Dave, look, it goes back to the, you know, there's names for Italians, right, that you never use. You think of them. I was like, yeah. He goes, well, th this kind of goes back to what they called the Irish people back then when they first came over and they got picked on. They called them patties. <laughs> I said they did. Now, again, I, I was, you know, 25 years old or whatever. I said they did. Name like McKinley. <laughs> they, they called them what? They called them patties. Okay, and they were the guys in the Bowery and the drunken bums who the cops would roust up and they'd throw them in the paddy wagon. I said, I never knew that. Never knew that. He said, well, it's just something to keep under your hat and in your pocket. And I never used the term again. But here it is. It's 2019, and I heard it uh, from another person. And I said, hey, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> but I got told 30 years ago, believe it or not, then they didn't know. And that's the thing. You, yeah. you don't know everything. You make mistakes. And if people get offended, you, you feel terrible about that. But I just wish they would call you like that gentleman yeah. did all those years ago and explain, hey, listen, you might want to rethink about this instead of, you know, pulling your pants down on social media and, you know, so that all their like-minded followers can pile on like bullies and, mm -hmm. and a schoolyard, but it's cyberspace and just keep at you without, uh, you know, because what is that going to do? I, how's that going to make, if you're being attacked there, how, what, what's your, what's your natural inclination when somebody you approaches you with their fists, you, you put fire, yours, you put yours up yeah, yeah. back, and so, you know, why not a phone call? Why not explaining that to somebody who may not have ever realized and certainly didn't mean the Irish Americans had nothing to do with the prostitution sting. I use that term of the paddy wagon. Hell, that's yeah. what they called it in the cartoons, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I could tell you one, one, <laughs> a couple of years ago, we were doing promos for the station, a promotional announcement going to air during the Super Bowl. When I was hired at Channel 2, the news director who hired me at the time gave me a little bit of advice before sending me out of the field. Now, one of the reasons she hired me was she saw some reports I did in Rochester where I asked the tough questions mm -hmm. and I held people in power accountable. And that was the brand. And so I remember uh, we were doing these promos not too long ago. And they were going to air during the Super Bowl because NBC had it that year. So they would, you'll sit in a chair. We all do it. All the reporters, mm -hmm. you one after another. You sit in the chair. The promo guys come up and say, so what's two on your side mean to you? And you're supposed to answer this. 
you know, off the cuff and, 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 and you'll try and you'll struggle and you'll stutter, but hopefully they find three seconds in there that they can use and then put three seconds of Claudine and Mike Wooten up and Jeff Raval and, and, and there's your 30 seconds. Good. Right. So I remember I decided I was going to tell them the story of how, how I was hired and the importance of asking the tough questions and holding people in power accountable. And the lady who hired me before she sent me out my very first day said, now remember, Dave, we don't do gotcha stuff here, okay? Okay. All right. Got that? It's not a gotcha thing. It's just tough questions and holding people in power accountable. Okay. She said, remember, you're a watchdog. You're not a pit bull. So I thought I would relay that when they said, you know, whoa, when you ask the tough questions in the little promo, yeah. and I relayed that story, and they used it. The pit bull people called. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> Upset. Because I was giving pit bulls a bad name. <laughs> it just. It doesn't it, stop. It, does, it keeps progressing. It, it gives you an idea. You would ask a question oh, too long ago here, about political correctness and what it, how it helps or hurts. And uh, my response of it, there's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. Because when I said that, I didn't mean to offend people who own pit bulls. They were offended. <sighs> when I said, I was told you're a watchdog, not a pit bull. <sighs> you know, and... and <laughs> And those are the days when you just you just want to go home, you know. So, you, like, we talk uh, like a lot about like futuristic things. Like, what what is a reporter brings you back to like old school stuff that like you don't see people doing anymore, like writing on a napkin or something, yeah. writing a phone number on my hand. <laughs> I think that you just have to kind of hold to the basics, and and then there's a a, a more modern means of communicating them, but you. You still have to get to the story. You still have to talk to people and get them to talk to you. You still have to try and be balanced. You still have to try and present both sides. You have to be accurate at all times as well as you can be. And, and, and those things haven't changed over time. I think there's a lot of pressure to uh, get information out faster. Um, you know, there was a time where there was a 6 o'clock newscast and an 11 o'clock newscast. Those were the days, weren't they? I wonder what the heck those people did between <laughs> 6 and 11. <laughs> I asked a few old-time anchors that. and Oh, we went out to dinner for two hours. Yeah, a couple scotches. Uh, you said it, not me, but... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just at Channel 2, we have a four... The news starts at 4.30 and it goes till 7. And then there's an 11 o'clock newscast. There's a 5. There's a 5.30. There's a 6. There's a 10 o'clock at night. There's an 11 o'clock. And between that, you've got this thing called a website that needs to be fed. You're supposed to be tweeting, getting information out as quick as you can, Facebook living. Um, the pressures to meet all that are tremendous. Uh, and there are sometimes uh, kind of difficult for people of my age uh, mm -hmm. who didn't always have that because if you're doing one thing, you're not doing another. And so you may be at a press conference. Listen, the best questions to ask, maybe this will help you fellows. Yeah, we always need one. Yeah. best questions to ask aren't the ones you have written on the paper. They're the follow-ups. Sure, sure. Say something. Well, 
That's always been true, and it will remain true. The problem is, is you're sitting there listening to uh, Senator Huselfritz talk, and you're tweeting out what he says. Now, when you look down and start typing and making sure you didn't, your fat thumbs didn't misspell something or say something dirty, or it didn't spell correct into something godly embarrassing, and you're doing that, and you're looking it over, and you're going to hit the tweet, and you're, well, I need a picture of the guy. I would take a picture, and I put this in, and this is a tweet. And then you look up, and you go to ask a question. Well, you weren't, you weren't listening. Mm-hmm. Right. So that best question, that follow-up, may not be there because you weren't paying attention. And then you got to ask something, and then you ask it, and they look at you like you got two heads because they just talked about it. It's um, the craft of being able to write something and go over that script and really fine-tune it. Um, when you have an obligation for four, five, and six, it's a little bit tough to do that. It's a lot a bit tough. And, and you uh, sometimes you know, walk away feeling like, you know, there was... <sighs> you know, I wish I, I wish I just had had... A little more time, you know, or and, a little less to have to pound yeah, out. You yeah, know? and I, I'm not, I'm not saying anything anybody else in uh, a television reporter anywhere would wouldn't say, you know. And and that's, it's just, it's the realities of our business today, um, and to uh, produce content all the time and quicker, and so you have to be careful like you always did you just because you may not have the time you may not have the time to to massage that the way you used to do it and the way you want to do it and so it it yeah and 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 it's a frustrating part about the the industry right now because um it, it but you have to just like for me personally uh I think a lot about efficiencies, you know, I need to be (laughs) on task and keep going because it's every minute that gets away from you don't want it. You want the minute back, right? So you can't, there ain't no two hour dinners, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no time and you just need to, you have to work as efficiently as you possibly can in order to continue. And I believe we do turn out a quality product. Oh yeah. Yeah. We like WGRZ. Absolutely. Number one, we we had Patrick Hammer on. We love you guys over there. You're doing a great job. Well, the weather broadcasters are the best broadcasters <laughs> around. You know that? Why is that? They don't have a teleprompter in front of them. <laughs> and they could be wrong a lot and still keep their job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, they, they can't be wrong. Uh, I mean, if they, they can't predict a big snowstorm that never comes, and they won't yeah. keep it very often. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will, you know, listen. Um yeah, if they say it's partly sunny and it's partly cloudy, it, if there's a chance of rain, they didn't say it would. They said there's a chance. So if it don't, okay. But they are, uh, they, they, especially the people at Channel 2, they, they are just, they're tremendous broadcasters because they don't have a teleprompter in front of them. So when they're talking, right? and you, know, you guys probably know the secret of the green wall, right? Yeah. That he stands yeah. in front of, he sees a green wall, he sees monitors off the, it's, you know, we, we don't need to be kayfabe about that anymore. They, <laughs> they are, um, so they're moving around and they're talking and the whole thing they're trying to say is, articu- it, it's in their head. There's not a prompter 
right. with the words in front of them. They are the best broadcasters, all of them, at all the stations. When you see them go through that for three minutes and nearly an um or a uh or a stumble. Yeah, I never thought about it. That's yeah. admirable to me. Yeah. You know, Kevin O'Connell was, man, it, it, he was... <laughs> I, uh, you know, when there's when there's severe weather and we're talking about if there's a tornado warning or something, we cover it and it's turned over to the to the weather people right there. And I God, I remember watching him go for 25 minutes straight with nary a tumble or a stumble with no script in front of him. That is amazing. Um, and all of them, you know, Heather and uh, Waldman, tremendous. Uh, we're so lucky to have her. The weather-wise, fantastic. Hammer. And why do we just call him Hammer? Well, we, we love we, calling yeah. him Hammer. Maria, we all call him Hammer. <laughs> Good. Maria, That's great to hear. Jen Stanonis and the whole group, when they present their weather and they don't stumble, you, that is a that is a broadcast miracle to me. I mean, they are just tremendous. Tremendous broadcasters in the truest sense. The only people who may be better are if you ever listen to a NASCAR race on the radio. I've heard them. Yeah. Okay. So they got a guy in each corner at a track. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a crash in real time. There's a crash. Oh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say Richard Petty. No, not Richard. Whoever's racing cars now <laughs> been a while folks since i you know so uh yeah there's a crash in turn four let's go to joe so-and-so is right on it now the crash just happened two seconds ago it happened at 200 miles an hour and there's joe blow on the air boom right now tell me what happened he does it in 10 seconds doesn't stumble he doesn't have a lot of time to screw it up. 40 but, cars riding by him. And does it, goes on for, let's say, 15. This is what happened, blah, 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 blah. No, oh, no, I'm not ready. Those guys, the guys who do NASCAR on radio, the reporters in the on the track in the corners, when something happens that quick, instant, they're on, and they go, and they do it. Those are tremendous broadcasters, and I admire them greatly. Never really thought of it. No, it's... <laughs> it's, it's I, I couldn't do it. It said that you did a little bit of play-by-play, -play, right? I did, and that was my dream, really. Once once I got onto the college level, I really thought, okay, I want to be a play-by-play -play guy. I want to be a football play-by-play -play or a basketball play-by-play. I didn't really want to be a sportscaster because I don't care about all the sports. I don't follow them all. And and uh, so that's what I wanted to do. And, and, and when I was in uh, uh, at college at Buff State, WBNY, I did the basketball games and I did the football. And uh, so that's really what I wanted and I set out to do. The only thing is, and this was back when I don't even know if ESPN had started yet. Okay. There weren't a lot of jobs like that out there. Yeah. You know, there weren't as many teams. There weren't as many leagues. There weren't as many channels. There, you really, um, yeah, the jobs were few and far between. Now there's a now there's a whole uh, degree program for it, for play by play for uh, sports broadcasting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's like that didn't exist, right? No, it didn't. And and I knew plenty of guys who were so good at sports. I knew a fellow I went to college with. He is the most talented. He was the best prepared. He was tremendous play by play. 
just tremendous. And he graduated, and he ended up being a country station DJ. Really? He did news for a while in Elmira. Took the news job. He had never really done news in college. He was a sports guy. You're a sports guy. What happened? There ain't no sports jobs. Yeah. I got to take a job. Then he was a country station in uh, Toledo, Ohio. He was an afternoon country DJ. Oh. I thought to myself, wow, this guy this is so unfortunate because this is the most talented individual I've ever worked with at, at my young age. He was just so good. And here he is. And then I was working at WJJL in Niagara Falls, and we got the contract to broadcast the Niagara Rapids baseball games. And the Niagara Rapids were a Class A league team. It was the the riches put them in Niagara okay. Falls. Yep. Okay, they had the Bisons, uh, AAA, right? And it's when they had all those fantasies about being major league. Mm-hmm. They had their AAA team. They had a double-A team someplace. They had a Class A. This is like the New York Penn League, right? <laughs> right. And we got the rights to broadcast the Niagara Rapids on our little 1,000-watt radio station, which we had to sign off at, you know, or go to low power at night or around sunset. And we had to find a play-by-play person uh, to do this. And so they posted the job. They got stacks and stacks of tapes to do this job. And my boss, her name was Sue Nicholas, she owned the station, she and her dad. And she came in and she said, she got this box of tapes. I'm like, what's that? My replacement? <laughs> she goes, no, hardly. She goes, we put an ad out for the baseball job. And this is what I got. And this is like stacks of these guys from California, guys from Arizona. Wow. She's like, Dave, do they realize that we're going to do, this is a class A baseball team and that they only have... 30 games and they don't get paid anything and we're going to do just the home ones in a couple of a way. So these, this guy's willing to come from California to, to do 20 baseball games on some little station in Niagara Falls, New York. He's ready to pack up his car and come across the country to do it. And I said, yes, because these guys will give their left, you know what to do it. They just want, right. The jobs are few and far between and they will, they will throw away everything and take the shot. Cause that's all they got. Yeah. Well, she's like, God, do you know of anybody? I said, I know this country disc jockey in Toledo. (laughs) (laughs) And he's tremendous. She said, well, how good is he? I go, he is fantastic. What's his name? His name is Howard Simon. No shit. And what's he doing? He's country disc jockey. Can you call him? You can call him, you know? So we, we... we, we brought Howard in, but the thing that got Howard, we just around the time that we had to decide who's going to do these baseball games. We also got the contract for, um, Niagara university basketball. Again, you know, a few home games, a few select games. And I said, but he's got a full-time job. And I remember Sue saying, well, you know what? There's got to be more he can do. I'll create a sports director's position. Wow, man. And so they brought Howard in and he did the Niagara Falls Rapids games and she just couldn't believe it. He literally hit it out of the park. She's like, I'm so glad that, 
And and Howard Simon is a remarkable, polite, affable, charming fellow. Yeah, he, I've met him. He's, he's a great a guy. Great guy. And he came in, and he, he so he packs up from Toledo. He comes, he moves here to Western New York to take this job at WJJL in Niagara Falls because it there's the dream. It's there. There ain't too and many of those they, jobs. And then they can, you know, well, we're going to make him a sports director so he can do sports casts every day so we can employ him full time. And he'll get the Niagara bat. Okay. And, you know, we do high school football. He could do those too, you know, everything. So, you know, she, she called him up. He agreed to come in and then they worked it out and he came to us. And uh, I, I just said, you know, you're not going to have him long, you know, because now Western New York has a sports market and someone's going to hear him. And she's like, I understand that, but I understand that everybody working at this little radio station in Niagara Falls, we're yeah. not going to have you very long. Okay. So I remember, you know, Howard, Howard comes in and he, he does the, <laughs> he literally gets out of the car, does the game, you know? And she's like, I can't believe how good he is. I said, I don't think bas- I don't think baseball's his best sport either. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till basketball comes along. Yeah. And he's just, it was just tremendous. But, um, you know, unfortunately, those little radio stations don't exist anymore. You know, no, they've been yeah. gobbled up and podcasts are available everywhere. Yeah. Like this one. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of sports. Yes. What do you think of our buddies of Pagoulas? Nice people. Have you? You've. you've I don't you know. I, 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 I've only met them in the course of my duties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never had cigars with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of cigars Kim might smoke. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, uh, no. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know them personally. Well, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think of the stadium? Cause you're in the know you're, you're around, you're in a newsroom. I like the stadium. Yeah. Do you like yeah. to where it is? Dave, the taxpayer, Dave, the taxpayer, Dave, the yeah. taxpayer loves it. Yeah, it right. <laughs> now, what does Dave, uh, Kreskin Dave think is going to happen? Well, I, I don't think they'd be talking about it all the time or, if they weren't planning something eventually and mm-hmm. nothing lasts forever. Now, listen, that stadium is, it did open in 1973. Yeah. So how long ago is that? You don't do math. 40, us, 45. <laughs> no, me neither. I get in trouble all the time. Oh, math is my weak point. Um, which is a weak point for a lot of reporters, believe it or not. But, um, yeah, the, um, the stadium is is uh, forty five years old. Hard to believe, right? Almost yeah. fifty. It's going on fifty years here pretty soon. Um, is there anything wrong with it? I I don't think so. I don't I mean, think so either. It don't seem like a bad seat in the house to me. I don't go that often, but when I do, okay, it's it's nice. They they keep doing new things to it to make your fan experience better. And um, but. You know, is it enough? Is it enough to make this much money when you could maybe make this much money? I think they have to weigh, can you make that much money here? You understand that, you know, the 49ers built that palace out in Santa Clara that the fans hate anyway. And they're charging, I don't know if this is true or not, but Poland cars told me. $80,000 $80,000 for a seat license? Yeah, that's what we've been hearing is the seat licensing is going to be tough in Buffalo. Well, who has that kind of money? Or, right. or, okay, there are some people that have that kind of money. How many people like that have that kind of money? 
Not a lot. You you can charge. The Jets and the Giants can charge what they want because there's enough people of means in that megalopolis of New York City and beyond that you can find that many to fill your stadium and buy your suites and pay whatever. The problem, I think, has always been, and you guys know this, are there some well-heeled folks around here? Sure. Are there enough of them? Probably not. That's why they have the lower ticket prices in Buffalo or the lowest average ticket price because you have to um, you have to uh, mind what your market is and what your market can afford. I don't know. I've never had a chance to sit down in depth and talk to the Pagulas about this, but I would suspect they're very mindful of that. Yeah. They're very mindful of because why build something and why put a product out there that they, if they know people can't afford it, what the hell will that accomplish? Mm-hmm. And how quick will that drive the team out? Uh, so I think, and I guess it's my guess because I don't know him personally, but they must be mindful of that. He's a successful business person, you know, I, and, and they must be mindful of that and maybe that is why it hasn't been full steam ahead we deserve one too yeah because they might be thinking yeah we do deserve it we'll be will we be able to have fannies in the seats if we get it because of what we might be able to charge and And how will we get there because a lot of the sports fans in buffalo i don't think drive around down here that's going to be bedlam after at four thirty on a Sunday at a one o'clock game, you know where it's going to be. Oh well, we have. You have sources. We have sources, Dave. Where do you think? We think in the cobblestone towards the Buffalo News that area. I, I kind of think so too, because yeah. um, you know the Pagulas have what they've now become called Pagulaville. They mm-hmm. kind of bought up some land there, and there's a natural connection between that and Larkinville, and there is uh, an aged. Uh, and really needs a lot of work housing project there that, um, you know, if they're going to have public housing uh, and subsidized housing for people, they probably deserve better than what they have there. And Mm -hmm. it's probably about time to put those places uh, to rest. And it's right near the expressway. And, you know, Congressman Higgins told me once that's a site he thought because uh, you just need to build some some off ramps to an existing expressway and that maybe it belongs there, but it's a lot of money. It's a lot of taxpayer money. And the County executive has stated he likes the stadium. He's not in any hurry Yeah, because we have one. Okay. And it's paid for. And it's, it's not like it's fallen down. They ain't war Memorial stadium. over no, there. In I think Park. it's in great shape. It is in great shape. And, and it's, fine but is it is it enough for the modern day nfl that that seems to think you need this and this and this and like i said maybe maybe the pagulas think and again i'm just guessing because i'm just some idiot on tv <laughs> but i'm i'm i gotta be thinking that they're they're obviously it's something they're thinking about but in their minds they are weighing whether you know can this community afford it and, and we bought the team to keep them here right yeah the thing that I think might be the stupidest is 
The Skyway. Oh, Dave, you want to dive into this mess? I mean, it, it, sure. Real quickly. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I've gotten myself in enough trouble already. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's kind of funny because, um, and I'm going to speak, uh, uh, you know, a, a personal thing here, okay? And this is not to say whether it stays or goes. I like the Skyway. <laughs> I like I like driving over it. I love the view. I love I think it's kind of cool. It's a signature thing to Buffalo. I remember telling Congressman Higgins, I like the Skyway. He's like, you can have it. <laughs> I saw Gord Downey under the Skyway. Don't yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. Come on. Uh, and so, you know, we have this thing, and it seems like the, the latest thing that we must ban the Skyway now or something. But uh, And so they put out this contest where the important thing to remember is – it was a contest. It was a contest and doesn't mean they're going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. they, they a awarded, ridiculous grand prize. They awarded $175,000 in taxpayer money. So that was taxpayer money for the contest? Well, it didn't come on the money tree, I don't think. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah, this, it was Christ. a state-sponsored contest. How in the world does that ever compute? Like, it, the, they the, leave the, that the, part out a lot, Dave. Washington's paying for it. This is federal funds. Really? Yeah, these are fe- we're not. This is federal, so they're taxpayer dollars. Well, it's federal funds. Okay, so it's either coming out of this pocket or this pocket. Either way, you got your hands in my pockets, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah. Politicians often forget or try to just kind of use avoid the term taxpayer money. But it, it, it is. Yes, the federal government has a printing press because that's always the. What do you got a printing press? Well, yes, they do. <laughs> but any kind of that's. That's tax. Unless somebody like Russ Salvatore says, I'm paying for this. Right. Or, you know, this is coming from the foundation of some guy who hates the Skyway and he's paying for it. <laughs> but they awarded $175,000 in prizes for designs for something that may not ever get built. There's no, there's, there's nobody saying they're actually going to do it. They like to kind of give you the impression that this is the direction we're going. This is a concept that a bunch of people uh, appointed by the governor and approved have decided, well, yeah, if we ever get around to replacing it, here's something. We like this one. My daughter could have drawn something if you were well, to let it go you know, out to somebody. I don't want to take anything away. There were some really crazy ideas. I loved the yeah. one that looked like it was surrounded by glass, like Epcot Center with the waterfalls in it and the golf course and the beaches and yeah. the year round. And it's like, hey, you know, go large. You don't, you know, come large and stay home. Right. Or yeah, whatever right. that is. Um, so, OK, which really would have been a unique attraction. But at the same time. Okay, so you've got these guys, and I talked to the guys from Rochester that that got the winning bid, and they had thought it out well. Okay, here's where the traffic would go. Here's what you need to do here. And, yeah, here's how you could use it no longer as a traffic uh, thing. Uh, Boy, a traffic thing. I I are a reporter. I are are articulate. Yeah, it would no longer accommodate vehicle traffic. It would be turned into an urban park that we could enjoy. And if you're brave enough in the winter, I suppose. Uh, And and then the traffic would go here. And and somebody asked them, this thing handles a lot of traffic every day. What are you thinking? And they said, well, you know, we're kind of thinking in 20, 30 years, which gives you an idea. They know this isn't going to get done tomorrow. (laughs) But they got $100,000, whether it gets done or not. But that... 
you're not going to have as much traffic coming from down there. Really? Uh, that's their idea, that more people will be living closer in, that, that, that less people will be driving the cars, and that they're, they're, their minds, they've got to figure out, it's not going to have the impact. If you took it away today, you'd have a mess on your hands. But they're, they're even acknowledging, well, this is years down the road, and, and we kind of figure, yeah, I won't have as much traffic then. So it won't be the big impact that it would be today. We'd need a rail. We'd need something that went straight to the South Towns to past our stadium now. But if they want, at the, least that. The, the, the thing is, is that, they just you guys been driving over it lately when you can because it's under yeah. construction they just spent almost 30 million dollars that's right. what i don't i don't get so unless you want to throw 30 million dollars into lake erie uh are you are you gonna tear that down now what what in the hell did you, why didn't you if you were gonna really heck bent on getting that torn down Thirty mil. Why didn't she just say, "Oh, we're going to tear the thing down and use the thirty mil to build whatever we need to build"? Right. I mean, it really. I think people would be even. I don't know about the people who want it down. They want it down, and that's it. But I think a sizable number of people would be kind of outraged if you just spent thirty million dollars in cement and stuff over there, resurfacing it, and now you're tearing it down. What is, you know, why weren't you thinking? It's the same thing with the stadium where people, a couple of years ago, they put $130 million into fixing it up. And now you're talking about getting a new one? Yeah. Why didn't you just let it go to hell and build your new one? And everybody would have supported it. Cause and take that $130 million, right? They would have supported it because the, the stadium is, is in horrible shape, which it's not now, but but that would have been the scenario. Why not take the $130 mil and put it toward the billion it's going to cost you to build the new one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's where people there. I think there's a, I think that's where people sometimes get outraged. It's not so much that they're spending money. The government is spending your money because they have to spend your money. The roads need to be fixed. The employees need to get paid. It's when they waste it. Mm-hmm. That's what gets people rankled. And you guys are probably no exception to that. So if, you had taken, and, and I think some of the local leaders around here were, were sensitive to that, that we just spent $130 million, man. That's got to last us some time, okay? And the same thing with the Skyway. It's like we just spent all this money. If we were going to tear it down, then shoot, why didn't why you take that money and whatever we're going to replace it with and and shoot, why do we just spend it all? You know, I mean, it would just be like you guys in your own household. We can all relate to that. You know, would I, would I do a, a complete bathroom, kitchen remodel, fireplace, skylights and everything, and then just tear it down? Tear it down? <laughs> <laughs> you could say you sell it. Right. Well, you'd get something. We're not selling yeah, the not old selling stadium. It. Nobody's yeah. going to buy that. And nobody's going to buy the old Skyway. So this is a thing where, where you're just... Yeah, you you spent the money, and I think that's where people get out. That's where totally I am because I'm like, you just gave somebody a hundred thousand dollars to draw me a picture of what, like I could have said, yeah, let's put a Ferris wheel, a titty bar, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, this is great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if you, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> Sight decorum, sight decorum. Uh, so here, here's the thing. I, 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 yeah, if you were going to take that money, you know, 
and, and you just you waste it you know yeah. you threw it you literally throw it away and that's where people really get sick and tired of it because then because they wonder in the first place why does it cost so much you know are they using the 300 government hammers obviously they are yeah uh, so yeah I, I and and that's where you know i think some of our audience follows us because we do often follow the money and we do often a right. channel to get into some of these questions that you would raise yeah that for sure a lot of the media doesn't because it's they might be just too caught up and i'm not being critical because it was cool to see the designs it was cool to imagine what sure. could be and that i think was how the whole thing was sold let's have a contest you know yeah. um but uh, i think we we delve into a little bit more about the kind of the realities of it such as how much would it cost and where would we find the money and we're not Nobody says we're doing it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, well, Dave, we've had a pleasure. You're a great guy. This was a great interview, and uh, we'll definitely keep pushing your stuff out there. Please watch WGRZ. Uh, Dave keeps holding people accountable, ask the tough questions, and uh, thanks for sitting with us. And you are now licensed to talk, Dave McKinley. I can stir fry too. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard you're a gardener. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Grow my own food. You'll be prepared. It's my therapy. <laughs> well, thanks we a all lot, need Dave. It. And uh, this was great. Thank you.